0: pray. Father, we thank you again for this day. It may have rained on and off all day, but we're grateful for the rain. And we're grateful, Lord, that our life, our moods, our how we feel, our security, where we're going does not depend on the weather, but it depends on your love for us and your grace in our lives. And we just thank you, Father. So we lift our eyes up today off of the circumstances of our life, off of the weather, off of how we be feeling right now, and we lift our eyes up to you tonight. For you have something that you want to say to us, something that you want to do in our lives because you love us. And so we open our hearts tonight, Father, and ask you by the Holy Spirit that he would take of the depths of your heart and reveal to us tonight what it is you want each one of us to know. There's something each one of us that you have to show each one of us tonight, not just information, but to touch and change our lives. Because you're at work in us, Father, both to will and to do your good pleasure. And we thank you for it, Father, in advance. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you may remember, before we got into the series on the Marriage on the Rock, we've been studying uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is out of a course I used to teach uh, in the school of ministry that we had here, and we may have some form of it again in the future, Uh, and this would be part of it because it's very important. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is, is a ministry that most people, many people in the church don't know much about. And yet he's vital. We're going to see tonight, I believe, just how vital, how vital he is. He is God's provision for the church. God has given to the church everything we need. And the basic things that God has given to the church is the Word of God and the Spirit of God inside of us. And he's given to us for a number of purposes, and we won't get into those tonight. But I want to make you, make you mainly aware that he is real and his ministry is real. I remember when I was thinking back today when I got saved as I've shared my testimony with you a number of times, I got saved in my own living room. And uh, just God in me, and I I just cried out to God. I don't know if Jesus is real, but if he is, you know, because I've been under conviction for months, and even more than months. And I finally just gave in. And I just said, God, I don't know if you're real, but if Jesus, I don't know if you're real. I believe God was real. I just didn't know whether Jesus was real. I asked you to come into my life and he gloriously did come in and I just knew something happened to me because I got up that next morning and here I was like 37 years old, went to work with my three-piece suit, my leather briefcase and I was in love with every lamp pole I could find, every lawyer I could find, the world was, I felt like a teenager that had fallen in love, that because love had come down inside of me and it was a wonderful experience and you know, the glorious thing is I've been tasting that again and and it's not with a lamppost but 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 that love of god and so so, but what I a, a number of months later, and i can 't remember now how long, so long ago i don 't exactly remember I was in a in a bookstore downtown Boston, not far from where I work, and it was one of the things I would do I'd get a sandwich and I'd kind of wander around the bookstore because I like reading and I like history books, and I went into this religion section and there was a a book on there called the, the who was the holy spirit and I, i'd never heard of him, so I just well, that 's a nice book and i I went over somewhere else and I was in a, in the history section and There were some more of those books piled up there, and looked at. That's interesting. And somewhere else, I went, and there's another pile of those books lined up. And now I'm checking out, and there's another pile of those books. And I looked down, and the, the 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 price was two bucks. Now, if it was three bucks, I don't know what would have happened to me, because two bucks I could take a risk on. And I just bought this book. I don't know. I'd never heard of the Holy Spirit. I was raised in a church where you never talked about ghosts. I never heard of the Holy Spirit. And I started reading through this. And it was like my eyes open, And it reminds me of a scripture we may or may not get into tonight where, where Paul comes to, the, uh, to, to some, some new Christians, some, some uh, the Greek Christians, and says, you know, have you heard of the Holy Ghost? We never heard of the Holy Ghost, and yet they were saved. And so I've, I know I was saved, but I never heard of the Holy Ghost. And I began to read this book, and it just opened my eyes. Because the Holy Spirit is, you know, as we've talked about in the beginning, we can all come up with some concept of God, the Father, in our mind. Now, you may have a good image of a father, you may have a bad image of a father, but even if you didn't know your father, we all have some concept of what a father's like. We may have one that really helps us to know God, we have, may have one that's a hindrance to knowing God, but we have some concept of what a father's like. We also have some concept of what a son is like. You may be one, you may have one or more, so that's not, but a ghost that's holy? We was talking to somebody the other day, he said, all I could think of was Casper number Casper, the friendly ghost, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you guys need to get saved. (laughs) And you know, it doesn't compute, and so, and yet he, of all the parts of God, for the church, he's, in terms of our operation, this may sound strange to you, he's the most important part, and he's the part of God that we know the least about. No wonder why the church is struggling in the world today and becoming more and more like the world. And it's not just now, it's true over the past. So that's what we've begun to look for. I believe one of the purposes of this is one of the scriptures that God has put on my heart, and it's just becoming more and more clear to me why, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul. In fact, I was listening to somebody right before we came over here. Paul says, I did not come to you in enticing words of man's wisdom. And that's what the church has thrived on. Words of man's wisdom, enticing means it draws people in. It it draws us, wow, I'm going to that church, that pastor is the best speaker I've ever heard. Well, that's true if it's the power of the Holy Ghost, but if it's just good speaking, if if he's got charismatic personality, those are enticing words of man's wisdom. And Jesus said, the doctrines of man make the Word of God of no effect in our lives. So if we're hearing man's wisdom, what it does is it blocks the Word of God from having an effect in our lives. And so Paul says, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. He could have. He was highly educated, and by what we read and the style with which he writes, he was very articulate, but he chose not to rely on those things, but instead he said, I come to you in the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit. Demonstration is something you can see with your eyes, you can, that your senses can detect. It's something that proves and demonstrates that God is real, God is here, and God cares for us. In the men's meeting, I taught out of First uh, Samuel 17, where story of David and Goliath. And in that story, David, David, David says to Goliath, as he's about to go into battle against him, he says, I do not come against you with a spear or sword, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. So that the earth will know, the earth will know, and by the way I'm going to cut your head off, the earth will know that there is a God in Israel, and that Israel will know that man does not fight by spear and sword, but man fight. But the battle is the Lord's, not yours. Well the church needs to know that today. The earth needs to know that there's a God in the church, a real God that cares about us, He's, he's real and He's powerful. And the church needs to know that we don't fight our own battles. It's not by power, it's not by might, says the Spirit, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And the church is trying to fight spiritual battles. I mean, across the domination. The charismatics, the word of faith is what just, not every church, but many of us, are trying to fight spiritual battles with, man's, with natural weapons. And we're not doing a very good job. Because although we may think we're winning, we're not winning the lost. We're not seeing them drawn in. Why? Because they need to see something. And so that's what's been stirring in my heart and been praying for that. And what I'm realizing is the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the key ingredient to that. Is the key ingredient to that. And so, in fact, when I taught... Uh, when the Lord spoke to me several years ago about going back to the roots of this church and says to me, you know, why are, why are you here? Not me personally, Well, what part of me was, why are you here? But why is this church here? So, uh, you know, I said, well, I, I, I pulled out the vision. He says, no, no, no. That's what you do. Why are you here? And I said, why are we here? And he took me to, from, to the Great Commission, which is why I spend so much time teaching on that. We're here to preach the gospel we're here to, take the, to, to make disciples of all nations. But then having done that, he said, that's not all of it. He says, there's one more ingredient. What did I tell my disciples once after I told them that? I told them that's not enough. You need to wait in Jerusalem. You need to wait in Jerusalem. You need to wait in Jerusalem. I mean, they've been trained by him, taught by him. They'd seen him in action. They'd seen him raised from the dead. They'd seen him crucified. They'd seen him buried. They'd seen him raised from the dead. They'd seen him appear in rooms, disappear, walk through walls, speak to fish, and they almost jumped in the boat. They'd appeared to them for almost 50 days, and he appeared to over 500 people. And he still says that's not enough. Because you know what? He appeared to over 500 people, but only a handful showed up at the end. So, so... So, so, those kind of things don't do it. It's a power within. He says, you need to wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And the church and we, you, we're trying to operate, we're trying to operate in everything but with what God told us to do. And so we've got to get back to that if we're going to do what God's called us to do. So I believe that's why the timing on this is Right to study the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what we've gone through is we've traced back, and I've shown you his ministry in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was not poured out on the, in the earth. He would come upon men or women in some cases, women as much as men, to perform certain tasks. And we saw that he came on him for leadership. He came on, on Samson. Samson was not this huge muscular guy. Samson had the anointing of the Holy Spirit come on him for a particular task, and then he was just like everybody else without that. So the Spirit of God came, but His ministry was limited. And then we saw His ministry in Jesus. And we went through very carefully and traced through, because I was always taught, because I was raised in church, but I always thought Jesus did the miracles, Jesus did the the healings, He did all of that, because of course He's the Son of God. Of course He can do that. But where does that leave us? But the Bible is very clear. He laid all those attributes aside when He came and took on flesh. Philippians chapter 2. He laid them all aside. He emptied Himself of all the power and glory that He had as the second person of the Godhead and took on flesh just like yours and mine. Romans 8 says that He took on flesh that was like us. The only difference is it didn't have the tendency to sin that our flesh has. But it was flesh. It could hurt. It could. It could be offended. It could be. It could go all through all the emotions. That's why Roman. He blah blah blah. That's why if Hebrews chapter four, verse fifteen says he can touch. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Why? He knows what it's like to deal with frustrating people. He knows what it's like. Got frustrated with his own disciples he knows what it's like to to deal with to deal with discouragement he didn't give into it but he had to deal with those things which is why it says we can come to him to receive mercy and help in time of need because we have a merciful high priest who knows what it's like to wrestle with our flesh to wrestle with the devil to wrestle with issues of life and yet he didn't give into them that's why he can help us but he knows what it's like to go through it so when you go to Him, He'll understand what that's like and feels like. That's how much He loves you. Because in part of why He took on flesh is so that He could identify you with the things that you go through and me. And so, so, he, so the miracles, He, did, he didn't know, do any miracle until He was baptized in the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit descended upon Him and He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And He went out, it says, He went out led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus' ministry from this point on is not led by His own imagination. It's not led by His own ideas. He is led by the Spirit. And He's empowered by the Spirit. In a number of places it says He was in a room and the power to heal was present. Why? The Holy Spirit in Him was the power of God to heal and make whole. He's the Spirit of life. And we often separate healing out as a different attribute of God. No, God is life. He is absolute life. And absolute sickness and disease cannot dwell in the place of absolute life. Any more than darkness cannot dwell in the presence of light. Light drives out the darkness. Light is a far more powerful energy or force than darkness. And life is an infinitely more powerful force than death. So much so that the spirit of life brought Christ alive in the very bowels of the place of death itself. His resurrection from the dead. And Romans 8, 11 says, if the same spirit... Ooh. Ooh. If the same spirit... There's not a different spirit that we get. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He will make alive your mortal body. Now I believe that's talking about the resurrection. So when your body gets resurrected from the dead, the power is in you. But it also brings life to your mortal body now. Healing, you know, doesn't come down from heaven. You understand when when God heals you, it doesn't drop out of heaven. You know where it comes from? Inside you. That means you're walking around right now with the healing you need. You don't have to God to do it. God's done it. He's he's, he's put healing in you. He's put the healer in you. Say, well, what's the problem? Ah, guess where the problem is. It's in us. It's blocking it out. But if you don't understand that, you're going to try to get it from him. You're trying to get something from him he can't give because he's already given it. Down the line we'll talk about that. But it's not just healing. It's, it's life. He is life. Romans 8.2 says, that for, for the law of the Spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit of life, God's life, is in you, and that's the Holy Spirit, and He was in Jesus. So when people touched Him, it says virtue, power went out of Him. The woman with the issue of blood, this to me, well, I remember one time years ago, I was, I was wrestling with this. God, I need to know, I've heard people teach that, that it's your will to heal everybody, but I need a scripture. And this was one of those cases where the Spirit of God answered me immediately. He said, The woman with the issue of blood. And I knew immediately what He meant. And I've taught this before. I'm just going to go wherever the Spirit of God takes us tonight. We may get to the notes, we may not. Remember this, scene. The, the what It says in Roman, Matthew chapter 8. It says, while he was on his way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. It says, there was a woman who had had an issue of blood for 12 years. She'd been to many physicians and was only worse, and she'd spent all her money. But she'd heard of Jesus. She'd heard of Jesus. And she came in the crowd behind him, for she said... If I just touch his garment, I shall be made well. So she was convinced somehow with what she'd heard, that if I can just touch him, I don't even need to talk to him. If I can just touch him, I shall be made well. And she worked her way through the crowd, somehow with her drive and persistence, because she believed what she said, she touched that garment. Now listen carefully, because Matthew makes this very clear, and so does Luke. It says, this is the order. She touched his garment. She immediately felt in her body that the, 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 the blood had dried up. It's not like, I don't know why or not. She knew she wasn't flowing in blood anymore. And she immediately knew she was healed. The order is she touched him. She was healed. And she knew she was healed after all those, those three things, Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? And his disciples say, what do you mean who touched you? There's a whole crowd of people touching you. He said, no, 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 this was different. I felt power go out of me. So the first thing Jesus knew about what had happened, listen carefully, the first thing, time, moment Jesus becomes aware that something has happened is He felt power flow out of Him. He didn't know into whom it had flown, flown, flowed. <laughs> so He turns around and says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Someone touched me differently than everybody else because they touched me and I felt power go out. And here's what the Holy Spirit showed me. What did Jesus say? Who touched me? If it's not God's will to heal everybody, then he would have had to know ahead of time which list she was on. Is she on the A list or the B list? Is she on the list, yes, you get healed? Or is she on the list, no, not you at this time? And the clincher is when this is all done, Jesus says to her, Your faith, your faith, your faith, your faith made you whole. A number of times. In fact, there are 17, there are 19 specific events of healing. There's some that are duplicates of the different, different gospels, but there's 19. Specific healings. There are many cases where he had a whole crowd, but there are specific cases, 19 of them. And out of the 19 and 12 of them, Jesus says something about their faith. Something about their faith. There's one whole place where a whole crowd of them said, they all said, you know, if, if we just touch him, we'll be made whole. And then it's the last verse of Matthew chapter 14. It says, and only those that touched him were whole. So people chose what they got from him. Why? Because the power was in him and the power was in him because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of life. If that same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So, well. wait a minute, Pastor. Are you telling me that if I've got that power in me I can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover? Isn't that what Mark chapter 16, verse 15 on, tells the church we're to do? Isn't that part of our great commission? Didn't Jesus tell his disciples? He says in Matthew chapter 10, he chose the 12 and he sent them out. And he said, freely you receive, freely give, go teach in the synagogues, proclaim the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and declare that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come among you. A number of places Jesus ties together healing, deliverance, and, 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 and even raising the dead with the kingdom of God. And the church is trying to proclaim the kingdom of God without the evidence that God cares about us, that God cares about people. And this is something God's got my attention about. So this is timely that we're studying this. So Jesus, in His earthly ministry performed everything he did, the miracles, the healings, everything, by the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit in him. And he did that because he was what, uh, if you're familiar, when they design cars or some new model of something, they'll have something they call a prototype. Prototype. And a prototype is something that's to give you an example of an advanced model of something. So you can have some tangible idea, so they don't just write a description and say, you know, the latest version of Ford is going to have this kind of hood, and this kind of whatever, that you can see it. And now you can't necessarily yet go buy one, but down the road you'll be able to buy one. Jesus was a prototype of a born-again Christian. In several places it says he's the firstborn of many brethren. We're his brothers and sisters. And his spirit is in us. Say, well, how come we're not seeing it happen? Because we don't really believe it. And there are fears that hold us back. What are people going to think? What if it doesn't work? Well, what if it does? And what do, what if people, what are people going to think? What are people going to think when some dead person rises? What are people going to think when some blind eye open? What are they going to think of that? We've got to stop caring so much about what people think of us and be more concerned of what they think of Him. Well, what if I do it and it fails? What are they going to think of God? He can handle it. He, he can handle his reputation. He's done it for years, centuries, millennia. All right. Well, let's see if we can get into the lesson tonight. All right, now what we're going to pick up now, In uh, we're coming to the end of uh, Jesus' ministry. Let's go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I didn't plan all that, but um, when I get filled up with something, it's, it leaks out of me. So, John chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 31. It says, that when he'd gone out, that was Judas. Now that he got the traitor out of the midst, he's going to speak out of his heart to them. So when he had gone out, that was Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. He's talking about his resurrection. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. This is what I want to get little children, and they were acting like it, and so do we many times. I shall be with you only a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. We'll stop there. Okay. So Jesus is announcing to them something He's told them all along, but they didn't get. He's announcing to them that He's going to leave them. Things are going to change. This is a very important section of Scripture because there's a transition taking place here. Jesus, they've had Him with them. I mean, there were times He would send them out and they would go minister, but they always knew they could come back. And and there were times he'd go up on a mountain and pray, but they always knew he would come back to them. So when they had questions to ask, when they had got afraid, when the crowd would get angry, when, when the storms would come, they had learned to depend upon him physically being with them for all their answers, for all their provision. I mean, at one point, they don't have enough food, so he takes their meal and multiplies it. You know, you know the storms; several storms they got into, and he calmed the storm. Of course, one of them, he's walking on the water through it. They've, watched, they've seen these things with their eyes. It took no faith they could see them. And now when he starts talking about leaving them, they don't want to hear it. I wouldn't want to either. I mean, they've got it it made. Not only that, they've come into Jerusalem and they've been hailed. He's been hailed as the Messiah. There's celebration going on. I mean, this is what they gave everything up. This ministry's about to just take off. Well, it was, but not the way they thought. And he's now telling them, boys, Things are going to change. And and you know what? One of the wonderful things, many wonderful things about the Bible is people are people in, in in 05 or whatever, 030, as much as they are in 2016, as much as they were in 3000 B.C., people are just people. And people don't like change, most of us. We just don't like to change, We like, and I know that because you always sit in the same seats, most of you. Some of you fool me every once in a while, and when I'm up here taking attendance, you've moved. But most of you sit in the same seats, and I don't mind, but we're creatures of habit. And we just don't like change, and they're just like us. But this was a big change. He's leaving. And, and they just, they couldn't process this. And so... Peter gets into this discussion with him, you know, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, yeah, you think so? We talked about this Sunday. Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. So he tells them he's leaving them. And he then goes on to tell them he's going to come back for them in the beginning of, of chapter 14. He says, in a little while, I'm don't, you know, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I've done it, I'm going to come back for you. And and then he goes on to prepare them now. We're going to pick up in chapter 14, verse 7. And read down through. If you had known me, and they've lived with him for over three years. They've worked with him for over three years, and they still don't know him. If you'd known me, you would have known my father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, and this is... Jesus just said from now on you know the Father because you've seen Him. Jesus just said, you now know the Father because you've seen Him. Jesus just said, you've known my Father, from now on you know Him and have seen Him. Now look at verse (laughs) 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Jesus just said, you've seen Him. I love, I'm so glad Philip did this because it's a stupid question. But I'm glad he asked the stupid question because we get a very important scripture because he asked the stupid question. Verse 9, Jesus said, have I been with you so long you can feel a frustration? Because Philip, I just, did you read the verse before, Philip? I just told you, you, if you, you've seen him. And he says, well, show me the Father. He says, have I been with you so long and you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how do you say, show us the Father? Do not you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority. Notice that. But the Father who dwells in me. Not the Father who dwells in heaven. Remember when Jesus was teaching His disciples how to pray? He said, our Father, Father in Heaven. And now he says the Father in me. So how's the Father in Heaven and the Father in me? The Father in Him by the Holy Spirit. That's who he's referring to. And the Father in me. The words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, He does the work. So the works I've done, the works you've seen, it's the Father dwelling in me through the Holy Spirit that's done these works believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me otherwise believe for the sakes of the works themselves most assuredly I say to you now Jesus shouldn't have to say most assuredly because he can't he is truth but he still says I'm not lying to you guys most assuredly I say to you he who believes in me now look at this He who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also? Notice what he does not say. You eleven disciples, you apostles of the Lamb, the works that I do, shall you do also? What does he say? He who believes in me. That's wide open. Do you believe in him? He's talking to you and He's talking to me. The works that I do also and greater works than these He will do because I go to the Father. That's one of the most astounding statements in the Bible. He's talking about the miracles He did. He's talking about the healings He did. He's talking about the raising the dead. He's talking about the casting out demons. He's talking about the miracles He's done. He says, the works that I do shall you do also. We'll say, well, he preached to thousands. He did. But he clearly did the others. And if you read through a number of the verses, he did many of them. He didn't just heal a hand, he didn't just heal 19 people. He healed multitudes. Multitudes at one time. Maimed people. People without limbs. Grew out. And he said, the works that I do shall you do also. And greater works than I do, shall you do, because I go to my Father. We're going to see why in a minute. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray, verse 16, I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. That word another is very important there's two basic Greek words that are translated another. There's one word which is allos, A-L-L-O-S which generally means another of the same kind. And the other word is hetros, which means another of a different kind. A replacement of a different kind. This word is allos. So what he's literally saying in the Greek is I will pray my father and he will give you another helper Uh, Just like me. A replacement for me. And so now we see this pattern... What we've looked at is that Jesus came and walked on this earth in His earthly ministry, laid aside all the attributes that He had as the Son of God, all the power, the glory that He had. Again, one of the reasons we know that is in His high priestly prayer in John 6, 17, He starts out by saying, Father, return to me the glory that I had before I came to the earth. So in order to have it returned, He had to have set it aside. So He walked on this earth under the anointing and the ability of God being present in Him, the Father, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now what He's about to do is commission the church. He's about to commission the church, His body, to go complete the work that He started. So why would He start the work under the power and the anointing of God through the Holy Spirit and then commission the rest of his body to go forth and finish the work and not give the church the same power he had and expect the same results. Well, he didn't. He obviously did that. So he's preparing them to take, receive in them the very means by which he's done what he's did. That he may abide with you Forever. That's what's different. In the Old Testament, he didn't abide, abo- didn't live with him forever. <laughs> he came, accomplished what was needed, and left, but his promise is he will abide with you forever. He didn't say you'll feel him all the time. I've had some mornings lately when I've woken up and I went, Ever have some of those mornings? Where's the coffee? <laughs> you get out of bed. You don't feel saved. You feel like five miles of unpaved road. I mean, you just, you know, you've had the, you've just, you know, and we all, I feel like that mornings like you do. But I've learned I can do something about that. See, I've learned I don't decide what I'm like by how I feel. I get up and I begin to walk around and I begin to speak the word. There's some Psalms I've just memorized because I want to be able to speak the word. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. When I start out, it's pretty weak. I'll bless the Lord at all times. Oh yeah, really? That's not how I feel right now. But I think about it. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Not when I feel like it. Not if I feel good. But continually. And by the time I get down around verse 10, I'm feeling pretty good. Then I go back over it again. Then I just start talking to God. And talking about thanking Him for what He's done for me. And you know what? My whole mood's changed. I feel good. I feel ready to go charge hell with a water pistol. I don't do that. I'm smarter than that. I take the word. And so, so you... you know, but, but see, one of the reasons we don't experience this inside of us is we don't release him. Instead, we release other things. Oh, I feel so terrible. I don't know how I'm going to get through today. Yesterday was hard enough. I hope I make it to the end of the week. Oh, I'm just going to meet somebody. You know, how are you feeling? Oh... Oh, I've had this cough for weeks. Oh, really? So have I. You know, it's really going around. And you just talk about this. And you know, the Spirit of God inside of us just cringes, just balls up. Not only that, what about your angels? We learned in spiritual, when we studied the the spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, that the, that the, the, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It's the only offensive weapon listed there. And we learned that what that means is when we speak the Word of God we authorized our angels to take a sword and fight for us. Jesus, with all He knew, full of the Spirit, when Satan came at Him in the wilderness, Jesus, Jesus, He didn't stand and say, I know who you are. I saw you fall from heaven like lightning. He told the disciples that. He didn't answer Satan that way. All He said is, it is is written. No more, no less. Okay, we got to move on. Praise the Lord. Okay, so he gives us another helper that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows Him, but you know Him. How do we know Him? For He dwells with you. Now when Jesus is saying this, how was the Spirit dwelling with them? He was dwelling with them because He was in Jesus. But notice what He says. He, he dwells with you and He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. A little while longer, and you will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Okay, now, what he's saying is I'm going to ask the Father when I go, and he's going to send another helper, my replacement. Jesus, whereas Jesus was only temporary. The Spirit will be in them and empower them forever. Okay. The ministry of the Spirit through one man will now be in and through all of them, through every one of them. John 16, verse 7. He's just said, I'm, you know, I'm, again, it's starting in verse 5. He says, I'm, again, I'm going away, guys. I'm leaving you. And he says, because of that, sorrow has filled your heart. But now look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I'm sure that... You know, you've heard me say this many times. That, that cannot have computed. How? I got him here. I got him here. I don't, have to, um, I don't have to use my faith. I can reach over. Jesus is here. Oh, I feel his presence. Oh, isn't that wonderful? I could touch him. That's how I felt his presence. I could see him. And he'd rescue me. If I didn't understand something, you know, I, I might want to make and ask the question privately because sometimes the, his answers could be a little embarrassing. But, but he'll answer me. I can get his wisdom. I can get his strength. H- how in the world can it be better for me that you leave? And you got to take this by faith. It's to your advantage, to your advantage that I go. For if I do not go, the helper, the one I promised you, will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, down to verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Remember, Jesus said, I don't speak on my own authority. Well, you won't speak on your own authority. He doesn't speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak. Wow. This is God's Spirit. And Jesus is saying, whatever he hears that's going on upstairs between the Father and the Son, he'll speak it to you. He'll lead you into all truth. We got a little further in this. We're going to look at some of the things he was given us to do. One of the first things he was given us to do is to lead us into truth. To lead us, because we need to be led into truth. There are many confusing things out there. There are many things that have been programmed into our brain. Religious ideas, worldly ideas, all kinds of thoughts. That's why the Bible says we need to renew our mind. And we've studied that before. But you've got the spirit of truth inside of you. And he's commissioned in you to lead us into truth. I remember when I first got saved. I was devouring this book. Before I got saved, I couldn't understand it. And now suddenly it's alive to me. But there were things I just didn't understand. I remember right away beginning, to you know, how, God, how do I know I'm saved? Because, you know, that, that initial euphoria kind of faded away somewhere for during that first day. And it's just, you know, how do I know now that I'm saved? So I asked the question inside of me. How do I know I'm saved? Immediately I, I, I saw a verse. And it was, it was uh, uh, for Ephesians 1.13 which says the Spirit is given to us as the guarantee of our inheritance. And suddenly I realize, well, wait a minute. Before I received the Spirit of God inside of me, I couldn't understand this book. Now I got to understand it. That's proof to me He's living in me. So if He's living in me, that's proof I'm saved. And that's what Romans 8 means. The Spirit Himself bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. If the Spirit of God is showing you things, He's in you because you belong to Him. He's in you because you belong to Him. And so, but my point is, He gives me answers. We need to learn to walk through our day and just talk to God. He's your Father. It's not just a stilted thing you do for, you know, 20 minutes or whatever in the morning, if you do that. But learn to talk to Him throughout the day. He's your Father. And expect Him to answer you. I had a situation today. I was late for an appointment somewhere. And, and my wife will tell you, I'm, I'm much more patient than I used to be in traffic. But I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm running late, you know, and I'm starting to get geared up inside, you know, and all of a sudden, I remember a scripture that I've been meditating on, which is in Ephesians chapter, uh, Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing but traffic jams when you're late. <laughs> and then I had, you know, in the place where I was going, it's hard to find a parking space. So I'm already get geared up. I needed five or ten minutes extra to make sure I find a parking space. And I'm just in the trap. I said, no, I'm not going to do that, Lord. I'm talking to him. God, I'm, I know it's... I'm, I could feel the pressure building up in me, but I'm going to put this into your hands. I will not, Your Word says, be anxious for nothing, but it doesn't say just to stop there. Make your requests made known with thanksgiving. So, Father, I'm just... I don't know how you're going to do this, but you're going to make a way. And I, I'm just... I'm gonna, if I've got to praise you sitting here, I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to get anxious. I got there on time. I go to the parking lot, and, 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 and there's a space open, but it's too narrow for me to get in. Now I want to get mad at the person that... Parked halfway over. No, I'm not going to get anxious. So I'm sitting there, and a woman walks into the other and starts getting her car to pull out. And I moved in. I walked in there, parked in there, praise God. Walked in, and I was right on time. In fact, I was a few minutes early. So I I talked to God through that situation. So the things you want to be anxious about, the things the devil tries to get at, talk to God about them. Talk to your father. Things you're frustrated about. He knows you're frustrated. Talk to him about it. Talk to him about it. Somebody a number of years ago, and I've given this advice advice more than once, was just, I say, Pastor, I just, I can't hear from God anymore. I'm just all clogged up inside. I just don't know what to do. I just, you know, I'm just so discouraged. I can't read my Bible anymore. I can't pray. I said, Here's my advice to you. It's going to sound very unscriptural, very unspiritual. But my advice to you is you find a, a nice big field and you go out in the middle of that field and you just tell God off. I mean, you just let him have it. You just... He already, I said he knows what's in there anyway. But it's unplugging something. You just get it all out. Just pour your heart out to him. Just get mad. Whatever's in you, just let it come out. And you may be surprised at how ugly some stuff is that comes out. But don't be afraid. He knows it's in there anyway. He just wants to get it out. And, and it worked. And be somebody in here that needs to hear that tonight. God can handle it. That's not... Oh, that's disrespectful. No, one's being real with him. It's being real with Him. I remember one time I got mad. I got, just got mad at God. I've been standing for this and I haven't seen it happen. God says, well, finally you're in faith, son. I said, what? He says, the reason you're mad is you expect it to happen and it didn't. It's the expecting it to happen. that's faith. You ought to be like that. Not, I wasn't mad at God. I was just frustrated. Real. We're real with other people, aren't we? You can be real with God. He can handle it. And then we have trouble being real with him in worship. Be it' religious. I love you, Lord, and I lift my hands. And God's real. This is what religion's done to us. God's more real than anything. Jesus had to be real because kids hung out with him. Sinners hung around with him. Kids don't hang out with phonies, with the religious things. They didn't like the Pharisees. They didn't even like his own disciples. But they loved him because he was real. He was authentic. And this is what this younger generation is looking for. Something that's authentic. And there's nothing more authentic than God himself. But the church hasn't shown that to him because in many ways the church doesn't know the authentic God. We don't know the authentic Jesus. Jesus Jesus, Jesus got people mad. He told people off. Not his people that, that loved him, but the religious people. He went into church one day and kicked a bunch of people out. Imagine that. Wouldn't have made a good pastor, would he? Called the his called the religious leaders a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers, and then he really got them He said their father was the devil. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, I don't know how we got off on that. Okay, he will lead you into all truth. So the Spirit of God is in us to lead us into truth. He's our helper. I shed the very first night we did this, I went through the amplified uh, 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 transla- expression of this and there were seven main things I showed you. Counselor, helper, standby, strengthener, advocate. All bunch of things that are all wrapped up in that word helper. The word literally means someone that stands alongside of you to help you in whatever it is you need. Except he stands inside of you. Okay. He will be their guide now instead of Jesus. Because it's the same Spirit, they'll be able to do what He did. Now, we're not going to turn there, but Acts chapter 1, and I've kind of covered this already. Acts chapter 1, the book of Luke and the book of Acts are written by the same man, the physician Luke. And they're both written to a friend of his called Theophilus. We don't really know who he is. But Acts chapter 1, I'll just read it to you. It's not going to be up there. It says... The former account I made, O Theophilus, which is the gospel of Luke, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. So what the Holy Spirit is saying through Luke is that the gospels, listen carefully, the gospel is the story of what Jesus began to do and teach. Well, if I said tonight, well, I've begun a series tonight, you would expect that somewhere down the road I would continue the series. So when the Spirit of God says that the Gospels are what Jesus began to do, the clear implication is it wasn't finished. This is a story, a continuation of what Jesus began to do. In fact, the book of Acts is the only unfinished book in the Bible, because it's the story of the church, the body of Christ, picking up what Jesus began to do and carrying it out until He comes back for His church. So here we are, almost two, about two thousand years later, and we're in—we're in, we're His body, charged with the responsibility to continue what He began to do. And as I said a few minutes ago. Therefore, it makes perfect sense, and not only sense, but it's what he said, that he would take what empowered enabled him to do what he did, and he would distribute that or send that forth into his church to enable us to do the same work that he did. And if you read through the book of Acts, you find through the first 14, 15 chapters, you see those same kinds of things. I mean, it starts right out! with Peter and John going to the gate beautiful to the p- temple to pray and there's a man there who's been lame from his birth and said you know begging and Peter says silver and gold I don't have I forgot my wallet today silver and gold I don't have but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus stand up and walk and they jerked him up and he stood up leaping and bounding around and praising God so it started with it. it's Then, you know, we're going to get into it, not tonight, but, it, you know, the second chapter starts with an outpouring of the Spirit, with just exactly what Jesus told them to wait for. And you know what? The whole city knew something happened. They didn't have to post it on billboards. They didn't have to post it on Facebook. They didn't have to hire advertising. The Spirit of God did the advertising. They knew something happened, because when the Spirit of God came into that room where they were, He didn't tiptoe in. He blew into that and it says He filled the place. Over in chapter 4, they call out for Him again and He comes and He fills the place and the place where they were was shaken. The building was shaken. Say, yeah, but pastor, that's in the Bible. Yeah, but I know of churches. We sat under under a teacher. Lester Summerall, some of you heard of him. And he was a pastor in the Philippines. And they had a prayer meeting going or a service going and the fire department shows up. And they hear the sirens coming in and they wonder what in the world's going on. And I don't remember the details now, but they must have rushed out. And they said your building's on fire. And he says, no, it's not. What they were seeing were tongues of fire on the roof of the building. It was the glory of God shining off of that place. Just like it did the bush that Moses saw. The glory of God. The glory of God. I've known of services where it's rolled in I have know of services but where, 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 there, where there was a sound of, of a mighty rushing wind that sounded like a jet plane had come in. And the sound people said, we don't understand it because our meters never moved. It was not an audible sound that your eardrum, but everybody heard it. These are stories, you know, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, not in the book of Acts. Well, it is because we're in the book of Acts. So I'm trying to encourage you tonight and tell you how important this ministry of the Holy Spirit is, how important we need to get to know Him and to get to know why He's in there. The book of Acts is a continuation. The church, the church, you and me, Faith Christian Center, all the churches that are real churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're His body. And we're commissioned to continue to do His work But he hasn't sent us to do his work without the same ability and power that he did the work in. And see, the temptation is, well, that's Jesus. Yeah, and who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. Well, who are you? Who are we? See, part of the problem is we've not renewed our minds to who we really are. Worth this think we're worms that happen to be getting to heaven by the, by the grace and mercy of God. Yes, we are sinners that are saved by the grace of God. But by the grace of God, you've been made to be a child of God. Romans 8 says that He predestined that we be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He may be the firstborn among many, among many brethren. Well, that means you're included in it also. We are children of the living God. We learn Sunday, we're going to continue to learn that we are loved of our Father. He loves you. You're precious to Him. I've started doing that. Walking around here, I'm precious to Him. At first, my mind just kind of froze over that. But the more I kept saying it, you know, it begins to settle in, in, and pretty soon tears are coming down my eyes. God loves me. He loves you. You're His child. But in order to be His child, He had to clean you up. He had to make you as righteous as His Son. No, actually, He gave you His Son's righteousness. So we can have confidence to come. What Hebrews 9 and 10 is all about. Confidence to come boldly before the throne. To come with a sincere heart. And a, a sincere, sincere heart. And our hearts sprinkled from a guilty conscience. With boldness by a new and living way. We're to come boldly to Him and ask bold things. i got to stop. Because we could be here on and on. God, do you know... Jesus never, 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 never criticize somebody for asking too much. When Peter says, "If that's you, bid me to come," Jesus didn't say, "Are you kidding me? Don't you know who I am? Who do you think you are, Peter?" No, see, that's what religion says. He says, "Come. Peter, Jesus got upset. But he didn't get upset because he got out of the boat. He got upset because he stopped believing. And I don't believe he was mad at Peter. I believe he was frustrated. He said, man, why did you doubt? You were out here with me. You were walking on water with me. Why did you doubt? We could have done this together. And he's saying the same thing to you and me. He's saying what we could do together. What I want to do. And we put, and I'm talking to me as much as you. Oh, i got to end we put such limits on him. Why? Because we're so conscious of ourselves and who we are, which is why Peter began to sink. Instead of getting lost in who he is, Jesus never criticized anybody for asking too much. He only criticized people for not asking enough. Wow. Even a woman... Oh, Jesus. Praise the Lord. I mean, I'll just keep going. I'm I'm getting so full of this. Mm. Father, we just thank you. Open our eyes. Open our eyes. Open our eyes to see who you've made us to be. It's not us, it's not anything we've earned or deserved, it's what you've done. It's your glory, your majesty. Your wonderfulness, oh God. Father, in this hour we live in, your church, your people desperately need to take the limits off. Help us, Father. Your Spirit's been given to us to lead us into all truth. Help us to see the truth of who you really are, what you've really done in us through Christ, and in giving us your Spirit and what you really want to do through us. Fill us with your spirit and your spirit of boldness. And we thank you for it tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen.